0: Welcome to a new episode of a Early Podcast. I'm Christophe Richet from France, and I'm pleased to welcome Professor Bimba Hoyer from Kiel, who published a few days ago a paper entitled Immunogenicity and Safety of Anti SARS CoV 2 mRNA Vaccines in Patients with Chronic Inflammatory Conditions and Immunosuppressive Therapy in a Monocentric Cohort. And Dr. Rebecca Haberman from New York, who has published a Paper a few days ago and titled Hampers Immunogenicity to MRA COVID 19 Vaccine in Immune Mediated Inflammatory Disease. So, if you agree, I'm going to begin with Professor Hoyer. And I have a few specific questions, but first, may you present your study and the, and the main results?
1: Yes, thank you for the nice introduction. And I'm very happy to present our study in the context of this podcast. So what we actually did was that in the beginning of the, um, the, the national vaccine campaign, we recruited mainly healthcare personnel into our study. So the majority of our patients is actually working in hospitals. That's why they were vaccinated so early. And also our healthy control was recruited from the hospital. And um, we included 26 patients with a broad array of um, chronic inflammatory diseases. All of them, or the majority of them, on biologicals um, into the study. Half of the patient cohort was on TNF-alpha blockade, but on different drugs. And um, we had patients with rheumatoid arthritis, with psoriatic arthritis, with lupus, but also with um, chronic inflammatory bowel disease and psoriasis within the cohort. And what we did is that we um, measured anti-spike protein antibodies before the first vaccination in order also to make sure that none of them was positive before the vaccination. Then seven days after the first vaccination, on the day of the second vaccination and seven and 14 days after the second um, vaccination. And in addition to that, in the patients, we monitor disease activity and the ones with inflammatory arthritis, we monitored the DAS28. And in the overall patient cohort to make it comparable because the diseases were so different, we use the patient global assessment and the physician global assessment in order to get an idea of whether the disease activity was altered by the vaccination. Um, Additionally, we monitored in both cohorts side effects or reactions to the vaccine by survey and um, by direct examination if there was anything going on. What we found in both cohorts was a response to the vaccine. That was the first thing. So all all of them got their mRNA vaccine and we did see an antibody response in everybody, the healthy controls as well as the patients and also neutralizing antibodies in all of them. What we found in the patient cohort, however, was that the antibody levels were slightly lower as compared to the healthy controls, but still all of them had a nice response. And um, as our patient cohort was um, about 10 years in mean older than the um, healthy controls, We, in the end, adjusted um, the results also into age groups. And by doing that, we actually lost that difference in the antibody titers. So if we take age-matched groups, the difference is not significant anymore. So part of what we saw was apparently also immunosenescence. Um, What we found, on the other hand, was that none of our patients experienced a flare. All of them were doing fine, and um, the delta... PGA was not significant in any of the patients. And also regarding the immune reaction to the vaccine or the side effects of the vaccination, we didn't see major differences between the healthy controls and our patients. We even saw that the patients had slightly less systemic side effects. So for example, high fever, fever 40 degrees Celsius was um, not present in the patient cohort, um, whereas we found that in some of the healthy controls. So all in all, the take-home message of our study was, despite the fact that some of the classical rheumatological drugs were missing in our cohort, that um, using the drugs that were included, mainly biologicals, the patients all mounted an antibody response and were all safely... um, treated with the the vaccines. So no flares, no major side effects. The limitation of the study, however, um, and that's why I'm very happy that Rebecca Haberman is also here today, is that we didn't have any patient on methotrexate where we were expecting some issues and we didn't have any patient on mycophenolate or rituximab included into the study. That was just not possible in the shortness of time. But um, that is sort of the major drawback and obviously the small cohort that we were analyzing, but still we were happy to find in the very early days of the vaccination campaign that the vaccine is safe in our patients.
0: Thank you, very interesting. Uh, you showed a difference in terms of IgG titers and I think depending on the ELISA, uh, do you think we, we could use a specific titer in clinical practice? practice to say, that's fine, you responded well to the vaccine, you are protected, uh, yeah. what can we do? May, may we use the, the ELISA, ELISA cutoff, or I don't know?
1: Well, that's, um, I think, the question everybody is asking right now, and we have plenty of patients coming along, they have checked their antibodies with their, either their rheumatologist or the general practitioner, they show us the values, and now the big question is, doctor, am I protected now? The big issue is that, as you said, different different ELISAs, different cutoffs. And um, I discussed that for quite a while when we did that study with um, the company um, where we used the ELISA from, and they couldn't tell me the best cutoff. So um, the, the ELISA test that we used, um, our clinical routine laboratory only gives us well use up to 384 um, antibody binding units. That's normally the cutoff they draw and all of our patients would have reached that cutoff if we would have used it. We asked the laboratory for the study to, to further dilute the serum That's why we could make the point that um, nearly all the healthy controls had um, a level of above 3,000 antibody binding units. And for the moment, we don't really know what that means. Um, On the other hand, um, this week, um, a retrospective sort of retrospective analysis from the AstraZeneca trial was published where they checked for antibody titers and uh, this preprint uh, claims that maybe 300, around 300, might be the cutoff where 80% of um, the persons are protected against at least the alpha variant of SARS CoV 2. So that might be a first indicator, but I, I'm afraid for the moment we will still need further data in order to understand which cutoff is really protective.
0: Okay, thank you for this. I think it's a practical information important and we will know more in the future. Uh, I noticed you you have one patient with 15 mg of prednisolone and all the other patients have very low dose or no steroids. Do Do you believe a high dose of steroids could decrease the vaccine response?
1: Yes, we did have one only one patient um, on 50 milligrams and um, in the end that patient was the biggest surprise for me in our study because it was a lady that was older than 80 and she had 15 milligrams of prednisolone and she had a great antibody response. So, so she is a very bad example for the influence of prednisolone and on the antibody titer. Um, for further statements on that, our cohort was too small, but meanwhile, obviously we did see quite a lot of patients also on hydrosteroids steroids and other drugs getting vaccinated. And yes, I do believe that high-dose alone is an issue because we know that it influences vaccine titers and others have shown um, also in data that is already out and readable that there seems to be a, a huge influence of um, prednisolone. They did even claim, um, uh, Kim, for example, they, they claim they don't see a dose dependency. I'm not sure about that, but I'm pretty sure there is an influence of high-dose steroids. I would absolutely be surprised if not. On the other hand, I would still vaccinate a patient on more than 10 milligrams of alone because as i said our one patient was 50 milligrams she had a great response and i would still try to to get those patients vaccinated because even if they don't have antibody titers that are sky high they are still protected to some extent so um, yes i do think there is an influence of hydro steroids but i would still vaccinate the patients
0: Concerning the, the disease activity, I believe you vaccinated only patients without any disease activity. Since you did not describe any increase of the disease activity, do you believe we could vaccinate patients with some disease activity, especially in areas with high viral circulation? I think that could be important to protect them.
1: Yeah, that's, that's again a good question. Yes, the um, majority of our patients had um, in the beginning, like the ones with inflammatory arthritis, uh, I think the maximum dust that we saw was something like 2.5. So they were more or less all in remission when we immunized them for the study. Um, in areas with high viral incidence, I would probably also um, vaccinate patients that are more active. I would be cautious to immunize them if they have really high disease activity. So I would be cautious to immunize a lupus patient with a sled eye of 10, because I, w- I would just be afraid of the effect of the vaccination also on the disease. But in an RA patient who has a dust um, 28 of, um, let's say, 3.5 or 4. Um, I I would consider vaccinating him. I think that's something that you have to decide on a patient to patient basis. And um, if the patient can protect themselves very efficaciously, um, I would would probably not immunize someone with a very high disease activity because I would be afraid that on the one hand, the vaccine might not work the same in patients with high disease activity. And I would be afraid of what it does to the disease.
0: Dr. Haberman, it's uh, it's your it's your turn. Um, may you describe your study and give us your key messages. Yes, yes.
2: and thank you so much for having me today. Mm-hmm. So what we did um, was very similar, which was that we took um, a cohort of our patients. We had healthy controls, most of whom were also healthcare workers, and then some of our patients were with rheumatic disease. We measured their antibody response before vaccination, and then one week after their second vaccination. And looking at our cohort, we had a lot of patients on methotrexate. And when we broke it down, we found that patients who were on methotrexate had had lower odds of creating what we called an adequate humoral response to the vaccination compared to the healthy controls or also our patients with rheumatic diseases who were on medications that did not include methotrexate. So our healthy controls and our patients who were not on methotrexate had response rates of greater than 90%, whereas patients who were on methotrexate showed a reduced rate of adequate immunogenicity. And we had a cohort both here in New York City and a cohort in Erlang in Germany, and we found the same thing. And between those two cohorts, there was about a 62% reduced rate of adequate immunogenicity. Again, as you alluded to earlier, what we call adequate immunogenicity is a little bit of an arbitrary cutoff because we don't know what number actually means clinical immunity to COVID-19. Similarly, we found that our cohort who was on methotrexate was a little bit older than our other cohorts, but when we analyzed by um, subgroup of age, these differences remained, So it wasn't just age that played a part in the difference between these immunogenicity responses. And we also looked at, in a subset of our patients, at cellular response. And we found that vaccination did not induce an activated CD8-positive T-cell response in participants on background methotrexate, while it did induce this response in healthy controls in patients with IMIDs not receiving methotrexate. So all in all, what this told us is we need to look more carefully at patients who are on methotrexate and make sure that if this lack of response remains over time, that we may need alternate either dosing strategies for the vaccine or dosing strategies for methotrexate to make sure that these patients are effectively vaccinated against COVID-19. Thank
0: you. So I think we have
2: maybe different um,
0: recommendation for the vaccination in in, uh, in Europe and in US. And concerning the methotrexate, did you stop the treatment one week after each dose? And do you think that could be different between the New York court and the one from
2: Germany? That's a great question, because our ACR guidelines do now recommend holding it. But most of our patients even in our cohort actually did not hold their methotrexate because most of our patients were recruited before those recommendations officially came out. So in both cohorts, most people did not hold their methotrexate.
0: Okay. And, and so you analyze the cellular response. Do you think we need new tools in the future to analyze it, maybe in clinical practice?
2: Yeah, so I think that the... Um, Measuring cellular response is important because we know that not all immunity is just based on our um, antibodies, and that some of our patients who are not mounting an antibody response may have immunity to COVID-19 through their cellular response, which is why we wanted to look at that as well, and we're expanding our studies on that. But I think it's much easier in clinical practice to measure someone's antibodies than it is to look at all of their subsets of T cells. So while I think it would definitely be helpful, it's a harder proposition to make in terms of clinical practice.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, In France, we have the possibility to give a third dose of vaccine in patients treated with rituximab or some specific immunosuppressive therapies such as mycorrhizal or cyclophosphamide. Do you think that could be useful for some patients? Uh, On my side, I don't have uh, much data in France, but what what do you think about that?
2: So I think that is the real question that's going on right now. It's definitely something that we're thinking about at our institution and a letter recently came out in the New England Journal of Medicine looking at three doses of the COVID-19 vaccine in organ transplant recipients and did find improved responses after those third vaccinations. So I think that it's a definite possibility and would definitely be helpful. And I think the question becomes For people who are on Rituxan or methotrexate, in these cases, do we hold their medications? What's the timing of the third booster to make it the most effective?
0: Thank you very much for all these details. But uh, I have a last question for both of you. Uh, do you continue your work? Do, do you plan to give soon new results? So maybe Professor Hoyer, you, you can begin and you have new results.
1: <laughs> Thank you for that for that question. Um, maybe actually also to to comment quickly on the cellular analysis. Um, we actually also analyzed cellular data in, in the patients and um, especially for the T-cells, um, it looks as if we will be getting routine testing for interferon gamma release. Um, maybe in the near future so that might be a second option and that's something that um, has also been described that in rituximab patients you might actually be able to see that Um, but to your question of whether we continue our research yes obviously we do and um, the study that we published was only a tiny part of the data that we acquired in that cohort so um, I hope that in the very near future we will be able to publish uh, the remaining results we did a lot of B cell analysis and T cell analysis on those patients. And I think there are some really nice results still hidden in the data. And um, we are following up some of the patients. So the first ones um, are nearly at six months um, away from their second dose of um, the vaccine. And um, we might get some new results from that data. So yes,
2: we will obviously continue that. Yes, and us as well, we are continuing our research and um, we have not quite as many at six months, but we have our cohort mostly now after their three months. So we definitely have that data to come out. And one of our questions was, does methotrexate completely suppress a response or does it delay it? So that is some of the things that we're looking at specifically also in our three-month data. And we've also collected information on disease outcomes and flares so all of that is forthcoming
0: well, thank you that's very very interesting and so i hope we we will we, we have the opportunity to to record a new podcast very soon and um, so see you soon bye bye